0: In case you didn't know that's a Greg Lackey original right there. I uh I heard him debut that last Sunday evening during our Victory Chicks meeting. Greg and I were the only non chicks in attendance. And uh I just stood back there and wept because I thought about places in church history where men had messages that burned in their hearts and that by the favor of God they moved beyond the initial circle of influence from a Martin Luther, from a John Wesley. And I thought about The men many times who were friends to those men, a brother in one case that I'm thinking of, John preached thousands upon thousands upon thousands of messages, sometimes five a day, riding a quarter of a million miles on horseback while writing a whole set of journals and books and publishing messages and preaching five times a day. It's John Wesley. This is the founder of the Methodist movement. And... Some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that, which blows my mind. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a church, I'm a student of church history. I won't say I'm a church historian, but I'm a student of church history. But the thing that amazes me is that in every one of those moves of God, there has been a fresh sound. There, there have been new songs that have been written. There have been new hymns. Ephesians 518 says speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your hearts to the lord Psalms obviously the very middle book of the bible if you hold your bible up like this And you just let it fall open to the the very middle Right there i've landed in psalms. That's the very middle Of the book. I I think that's not a coincidence in that the very middle of this thing is all about our worship to him and Psalms, hymns, hymns, humneo, the the Greek word humneo is the idea of a testimony of what God has done in our lives. And we sing it back to him, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, our great Redeemer's praise. That one is one of the hymns written by Charles Wesley, brother to John. Charles wrote 10,000 plus hymns. Many of them have lasted and become what we call classics. I I look at the truth and the theology of some of these great hymns from the past and I wonder sometimes how many of these that we're singing today that are current and do have an anointing on them at the present time. How many of them will last into the next 100 years? Cuz I want to tell you I believe we're going to be here. I don't believe Jesus is coming back in the next second. Will when our story is written up in history books, will they say of the generation that was in the Delta In 2010, in the 21st century, will they say of us that we were a people who were faithful to the call of God and to the cause of Christ and stood in the midst of a consumer-driven generation when everything is materialistic, when everything is all about me, my, and mine, when everything is about making me happy, when, when there is a kind of a Burger King Christianity. It's kind of a hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. Let's just find a church that we can custom make to what we think our personal idea is about who God is. And what we've done is we've fashioned to Jesus and our image instead of letting Jesus fashion us into. Greg, you blow my mind, brother. The anointing of God is on your life and it's growing. I really do believe that in 100 years when I'm gone and I'm a part of the great cloud of witnesses and I'm a part of the church triumphant and I'm cheering on and interceding for the next generation that's in the earth, some of your grandchildren, that there literally will be, I prophesy it right now this morning, that when my messages are forgotten, songs that are going to be written in this house, and I do believe they'll be sung around the world, I, I'm dreaming big. I, that's too big for some of you. <clears throat> Some of you right now, you're thinking, now, preacher, you just have some, some delusions of grandeur. Let me tell you something. You, you, you're saying right now, you're out of your mind. I want to just say right back to you, no, I'm just out of your mind. I'm beyond your thinking at this point. God is going to touch this earth from this little bitty obscure cave of Adullam right here in the middle of nowhere, this little bitty place called Crittenden County, this little bitty place right here that everybody else has just given up on. I believe that with all of my heart. As soon as I said that, about five messages ago, I got an email later in the week from a brother in Kaiserslautern, Germany, who is a part of the U.S. Armed Forces. And he says, I just want you to know that not only me, but some of my brothers, some of my comrades, some of my, those in my company are over here, are hearing your podcasts that are coming out every week. We tune in Sunday afternoon, waiting to see this thing, hear this thing get uploaded that you and Alex and others are preaching at Victory Fellowship, at Victory Church, of the Mid-South in West Memphis, Arkansas. It's already touching other places around. Did you hear what I just said? Your ministry, this church. I'm excited to be a part and to see God bring people into this place who've captured the vision that the Lord has given and that we're owning this thing and making it ours. It's not my vision. It's the Lord's vision that God has for Victory Church and for Crittenden County. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. I'm excited. This is the last message today in this series called Prodigal God. I hope that you've read the book and gone to life groups. You've built some new relationships, had some amazing fellowship, seen some prayers answered, hopefully grasp the gospel in a way that you've never seen it before. Because that's the whole point is that no matter how much you think you have it, it's always bigger than. Keller says, if you think you've got the gospel, that's one indication that you don't. And if you realize you don't, that's an indication that you really do have it. You've grasped it, that it's bigger than, it's always bigger than what your perception is. And this morning, we're finishing this up. I'm not going to take time to review. We've got seven messages that are already out there on podcast at www.victorywired.com. Jump on there and listen to those. I believe they'll bless your heart. The text today is found in Luke 15. It says, he heard music and dancing. He heard music and dancing. There is a passage of scripture that I do want to refer to in the prophet Isaiah in the old covenant. Isaiah chapter 25, verses six through nine. I'm going to ask you if you would one more time, would you stand with me, please? And let's read out loud the word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 25 verses six through nine. Let's read it together. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast, click, 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 a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And he's about to tell us what that covering is, what that veil is. Here it is right now. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for the amazing gift of salvation. So many times we have reduced that to a home in heaven. That is secure. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you today that as we open your word, that you show us that this salvation is an amazing, rich life, eternal life that we receive right now. That's not just eternal life, not a long time, but it's quality of life right now in the midst of the problems that we face, of the circumstances which we navigate. Holy Ghost, we honor you in this place. Thank you. Thank you for your touch, for your presence this morning. Thank you for healing bodies. Thank you for rescuing souls in this place, in this service. Let the word of the Lord penetrate hearts and bring eternal, lasting change. We'll be careful to give you the glory because we know that apart from you, we cannot do anything. But with you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And This morning, I want to share with you briefly as we wrap this series up, I have one sentence that I'd like us to look at that I've characterized four points in. And I just want to tell you, those of you that are reading the book, you may have already finished the book. I'm just taking the four points that Tim Keller gave. I'm not using his illustrations. I'm expanding it on some things the Lord gave me. But I just don't think this can be any better. I prayed about it this week and there are four things that are here and this is the sentence that I want you to get. It says salvation is a rich experience that includes tangible material blessings shared by individual believers living in community. That should be in your notes on your lap in front of you. It's on the screen with me right now. If you would read, here we go. Let's say it. Salvation is a rich experience that includes tangible material blessings shared by individual believers living in community. Now, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, for me to say the same things to you is safe. It's not grievous for me and it's safe for you. We, we are reminded the principle of repetition is what gets something down into us. It's like digging the hole deeper and planting a seed deep in our hearts. So we're going to do this at least a couple more times. So let's go here together and we're going to stop at each point. Here we go. Salvation is a rich what? Experience. Let's go on. Read it with me right there. Salvation is a rich experience that includes tangible material blessings. That's it. Start from the beginning again. Salvation is a rich experience that includes tangible material blessings shared by individual believers. Now, that's something that we really do emphasize in America, that whole individual thing. But God doesn't stop there. Here's our last time. Let's get it together. Salvation is a rich experience that includes tangible material blessings shared by individual believers living in community. Now, that's what I want us to grab hold of this morning. We started the service. I I said this in our warm-up today to Greg. I said, man, did you get on your face and get a direct line to God? Because I could not have picked a more perfect song list to go with this message that I was going to preach today. He had no idea what I was going to preach. But we started with this song that says salvation is here. And and, and salvation is here. And how, how does the song go? And he lives in me. Everybody say salvation is a person. And his name is Jesus. That's, that's how we started the morning. And, and then, then we moved from there and we sang, the earth is the Lord's. Oh my, that is good news to those who are possessed by the, 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 the most recent prophetic speculation of pessimillennialism that's been written. That basically says, this whole thing belongs to the devil. There are plenty of groups out there, and you can tune them in regularly in the name of Christian television that tell you that this whole thing is the devil's. And I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's a shame that gospel preachers are putting that kind of junk out there. My Bible says, I got to calm down. My Bible says, Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they who dwell therein you got to realize it's an unfortunate translation in the King James Version where it calls the devil the God of this world. If you look it up in the Greek, it's literally Ion. It's the God of this present age. And let me tell you, the Bible says that you and I as believers have been delivered from the power of the God of this present age. He may be the God of somebody else's world out there, but he's not the God of my world. The earth is the Lord's. Greg, you're blowing my mind, brother. I said it, I'm gonna say it again. It's the Holy Ghost got all over you when you put. Do you realize how much truth we sang today before I got up here to bring to you the word of the Lord that He's put in this little book that we're reading that comes from this amazing book called The Word of God? The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it, it's all a praise to Him. God is interested in this whole thing being a rich experience that includes tangible material blessings shared by individual believers living in community. Then we move from there and we sing, Our God is greater. Water turned into wine. I'm not even going to jump on that because I'll just jump too far ahead into my points this morning, but I just want to tell you it amazes me how the Spirit of God has been all over this service already this morning. And I want you to grab this. There are four points real quickly that I want you to fill in the blanks. Here we go. Salvation is number one. Regeneration. Everybody say regeneration. Regeneration. To regenerate, this is basically the story of creation. In Genesis, Genesis is the generation of all of this. God generates life. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobey God. They basically, by high treason and rebellion, declare their their word to be law over the law of God. And they disobey God's law and set themselves up as God. And then we have degeneration. There is a decline. There is a descent into the curse. But thank God, Jesus didn't leave us there. He descended from his throne and he came and lived a perfect and a sinless life before us demonstrating it was what it was to walk a life with the father and he died suffered the just for the unjust the godly for the ungodly and he didn't just go into the ground to become a seed that would no longer be seen again but that seed multiplied and he was raised from the dead and he was declared to be the son of the most high god by the resurrection from the dead romans chapter one says And he poured himself out, and he made himself a many-membered body, a many-membered man, one new man in the earth. It's a regeneration. There was generation and degeneration, but then God pulls us up out of the pit, and he regenerates. Salvation is the regeneration. It's also a renewal. God intends to renew matter, because matter matters. There's one of, one of our churches in the area, wonderful church, Marion First Baptist Church. Clay Hallmark's a, a good brother, great friend of mine. And I just want to tell you, they, they, I love their, their, their slogan. It's in the, the yards of all of the people who attend uh, Marion First Baptist. It says, your life what? Matters. matters. And it does. Your life matters to God because it's not just about some glad morning when this life is o'er. God wants to have your life be filled with abundance right now. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have what? Life and have it what? NIV says to the fullest. Have it more abundantly. That's not for a future day. That's for right now. Everybody say right now. So there is a regeneration, there's a renewal, there is a rescue. God individually rescues us from the flames of hell, from the wrath of God, from a life of slavery, from a life of sin, from sin and sickness and disease and degradation and destruction and everything that is under the curse being made a curse for us. He rescued us from the curse. Many, many folks don't ever sing the third verse of joy to the world, not even realizing that when it was written, it wasn't even written for Christmas. It was a great post-millennial hymn to declare that ever since the birth of the Christ, that we have been enjoying the fruit of the kingdom of God for 2,000 years now. The third verse says, no more let sin, nor sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. What I want to tell you this morning is that as powerful as the treason of Adam was, the obedience of Jesus is greater. He comes to make, come on, his blessings known. Help me, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. There's not a place. There's not a pit deep enough on the planet. There's not a destructive habit that is powerful enough. There's not a life of sin that is so gross and so degraded that he has not already reached down and gotten up underneath you to lift you up and pull you out of the pit and set your feet on a rock. And establish your goings and put a new song in your mouth. And the Bible says, many shall see it and fear the Lord. Come on, he'll take your mess and he'll make a message. He'll take you through the test and put a testimony in your mouth. If you'll just not quit, but you'll just keep on. Come on, somebody. Can I have a little bit of amen in the place today? Mmm. My, 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 my. It's a regeneration. It's a renewal It's a rescue and it's a reconciliation. Last thing, everybody say reconciled. Reconciled. Vertical bar of the cross. There's peace between me and God. But God says, no, it's not finished if you stop there. Because it's not just about that bar. But there has to be peace between the brothers. It's a horizontal reconciliation. It's a reconciliation that reaches out to somebody who's offended me. And I choose to forgive because I have been forgiven. I choose to release and let go and to be reconciled to my brothers. To be reconciled to the other gender. To be reconciled to the other races. To be reconciled to those that aren't like me. Are you with me this morning? Let's get it. Four things. Number one, salvation is experiential. I think that it's absolutely a travesty. In evangelical churches, to preach you must be born again and then not expect people to sense something or feel something, or recognize that the tangible presence of God comes into a person's life. It's an experience. Let me tell you, if you get up from it and you don't have some kind of differentiation in the way you think and the way you live, don't say and you're perfect. Nobody gets up from the new birth having had everything fixed. It's amazing to me. I wish God would. I would just be so Amazing. But he touches some things, and then he lets some things so that you will progress and cry out to him and seek his face. But it's amazing how he'll do some things immediately. The greatest testimony we've had in this house recently was when little Zachary got baptized a couple of Sundays ago. Was it last Sunday? And when he said the testimony by Pastor Haley said, you know what? His mama says he's been a different boy around the house since he trusted Jesus. He used to be so angry. Are you hearing me this morning? When, when you meet the God of the universe, when he who is all power takes residence on the inside of you, you can't help but to be different in some kind of way. Come on, somebody. It's not just what was lost is found, but it's what was dead is now alive. There's regeneration. I, I, I love this illustration in that we have these feasts of the Lord. Isaiah 25, that passage says that on the mountain of the Lord, there's going to be an amazing feast and God's going to have this rich food and this incredible wine. And and on this place, God is going to destroy the covering of all peoples and the veil that's been over all flesh. And he says, he will swallow up death. That's something that we're still looking forward to. I'm still aging this morning. I've referred to that a couple times during this series. I've I've been down in my back this week. Just hearing those words come out of my mouth just doesn't even seem right. And you know what? I didn't lift too heavy at the gym. I hadn't been to the gym in two weeks. I think I been over to fold a towel. And maybe I brushed my teeth and got a little sideways with it somehow. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I'm going, what is... huh? I've been in the bed. I didn't leave my house from Thursday afternoon all the way until this morning. I have not left my house. I have, been, I have been lying prostrate before the Lord, medicated. It's a miracle that I can do that right there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's this, there's this thing called aging and it's this, the, 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 the entropy, decrepitation. I don't like it. But the Bible says there will be a generation that God's going to throw a feast for. He says, on that mountain, I'm going to destroy the covering that covers the peoples of the whole earth. I'm going to swallow up death and the whole process of this thing. He promises us that he's going to serve us a feast. Salvation is an experience that begins when you say, Jesus, I give you my life. And then it's supposed to be the unfolding of rich blessings every day from then until you get to see him face to face. Come on, somebody. The Feast of the Lord in the Old Testament. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. Listen. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. At the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Everybody say Passover. <laughs> at the Feast of Weeks. That's seven full weeks and one day after Passover. This is fulfilled in Jesus in the resurrection. Because Pentecost, Penta meaning 50, 50 seven sevens feast of weeks seven weeks from passover when the lamb was slain then the holy spirit was poured out this thing was a feast that was celebrated with the children of israel it was very experiential there was a lot of food to eat there was wine flowing it was a great time of celebration there's a party going on right here look at your neighbor and say celebrate good times come on Na, 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 na. I wanted to work that up for worship this morning. A <laughs> couple of you are too religious. You can't appreciate that. <laughs> Passover, Pentecost, and then it says the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles is another name for it. And it says, They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Verse 17, Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. So three times a year, all of the children of Israel are to go up to the holy place. They're to meet in the presence of God. It's to be Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Everybody say that with me. Say, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. One more time. Here we go. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Now I want you to realize... That these are, there technically are seven feasts. There are three in Passover and there are three in Tabernacles. And there's one that stands alone in the middle called Pentecost or Feast of Weeks. It's another name for it. Okay. You got three over here in Passover, one in Pentecost and three in Tabernacles. So three plus one is four plus three is seven. The seven feasts of the Lord are types or pictures of the fulfillment that only comes in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because he is the feast. We feast upon him. We eat his body and drink his blood when we partake of the Passover lamb. The lamb that was slain for the sins of the world before the foundation of the world. Passover was celebrated in Egypt. God comes to you in the midst of the, the, the bondage of your life, whether it's a destructive habit or a pattern. Regardless, it's sin. Pharaoh's a type of Satan. Jesus comes, and the blood is applied to the doorpost of your heart when you trust in him and you eat mo' lamb. Come on, everybody say, eat mo' lamb. Now, what you've got to realize is that these three festival seasons were very experiential for the people of Israel, but they were merely prophetic types or pointing to what was going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. At the same time that they were historically f- uh, played out for, for Israel to eat and, pr- and party and celebrate and have a great time, they were prophetic pictures that would be fulfilled historically in the life of Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus Christ the Messiah. And as they were fulfilled in him historically, I just want to say that if you're going to be a part of the family of God, they have to be fulfilled experientially in your life. You have to know Christ as the Passover lamb. You have to meet him as the baptizer and the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And you need to know him as the Lord of tabernacles. He's not just your savior. He's not just your priest, but he is the king. He's the Lord. He's the boss of everything in my life and in yours. There's so much to the Word that just doesn't even get taught because we, we keep the body of Christ in diapers and we keep feeding them pablum. Now, let me just say something to you. If you're a babe in Christ, desire the sincere milk of the Word. But just, honey, let me just tell you, if you hang around along here, you're going to grow some teeth. And I'm going to feed you the bread of God's Word. And we're going to hunt down some meat in due season. And we're going to have the beverage of the milk of the Word. And we're going to take the bread of God and slap a piece of meat between it. And we're going to have us a Holy Ghost sandwich. The milk, the bread, and the meat. When you meet Christ in the Passover, you actually meet Jesus. Jesus, His name. He's the, when the angel came and says, You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their Jesus means Savior. It's the the Greek derivative of the word Joshua, which means God is salvation. Everybody say Joshua. Joshua. So you meet Jesus in the Passover. You meet the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah. The anointed one is poured out where it's not this time Literal laws written on stone, but it becomes the spirit of the law of life in Christ Jesus that's written on the tablets of your heart in Pentecost as it's fulfilled in you experientially. Some of you are looking at me like a cow at a new gate this morning because you have never in your life heard anything about what I'm saying. Everybody say "Three three feasts. Jesus, what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5? We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ As Lord, He's Jesus the Savior in the Passover. He's Christ the baptizer in Pentecost. He's Lord who is the King and the boss in tabernacles. Three men were anointed in the Old Testament prophet, priest, and king. There were three divisions to the tabernacle of Moses the outer court, the holy place, the most holy place. The furniture even lines up with it. The very first thing that you come in contact with is the brazen altar of sacrifice. You have to meet Jesus Christ as the lamb slain in the Passover on the altar. Are you following me? They were delivered out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the land. Those are the tenses of religion. I'm sorry. Help me, Jesus. The the tenses of redemption. That's what I meant to say. Everybody say it with me. Out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the land. Now, I'm going to spend the most time on these feasts, and then we're going to hit the others very quickly. Everybody say, i got to experience Jesus in all the feasts. The feast of the Father is nothing but pouring out everything that Jesus is into your life and mine. Salvation is here, and he lives in me. Say that with me. Salvation is here. And he lives in me. There's 30, and 60, and 100 fold. First John says they're little children, young men, and fathers. Jesus said, I am the way, truth. There's about 100 of these all over the word. I wish I had a little bit of time this morning. Because when you start seeing this, everybody look at your neighbor and say, God lives in a three-room house. Oh. <laughs> Passover. Pentecost, Tabernacles, Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, Baptizer, Lord, Prophet, Priest, King, out of Egypt through the wilderness. And Passover was celebrated in Egypt. Pentecost was out there when they got in the wilderness. They wandered for 38 years and then parked for two years sitting on the wrong side of the Jordan, waiting before all of a previous generation died out. It wasn't until they actually got over into the promised land that they first experienced the feast of tabernacles. And honey, you're talking about a party. Celebration. We must know him in all of these feasts. It is an experience. Salvation is a rich experience. What'd we say? That includes tangible material blessings shared by individual believers living in community. Number two, rest of this is real quick. Stay with me. Number two, salvation is material. Everybody say material. material. This is the concept of renewal. Your life matters. God is interested in not just saving your soul and taking you to heaven. God wants the covenant, He wants you to understand the principles of the covenant cover everything that relate to you spirit, soul, and body. That's another three right there. That's what was saved in the outer court in Passover was the Spirit. Holy Spirit now, the baptizer. It's touching me, changing my soul, altering my thinking, renewing my mind. And I will eventually be saved in my body, where death will be put under foot when I see him face to face, spirit, soul and body. Past, present, future. Now I know I'm preaching and teaching back and forth a little bit this morning. Is anybody getting anything out of this? The feasts of the Lord are critical. They were experienced by the children of Israel. They were fulfilled in Christ, but they must be experientially fulfilled in your individual life. Unless you personally meet Jesus, the Passover lamb, you're not saved. You have to know him. You have to have the blood of the slain lamb applied to the doorpost of your personal individual heart. I don't care that your mama has it, and your daddy has it, and your great-grandmama has it. It's important that you have it. Do you know Jesus this morning as the Passover lamb? It's material. God doesn't just care about the spirit realm. This is not some kind of platonic, Plato, Greek philosopher idea that, that only spirit is the real essence, and it is the truth, and all matter is evil. No, when God stepped back from the planet and he made it, he said every day at the end of every creation day, he said, behold, it's good. And at the end of the last day, he stepped back and he said, it's what? very good. When it was all finished, he said, this is good. God looks at matter. He looks at creation. He looks at technology. He looks at art. He looks at science. He looks at what motivates your career. He, what you do with your week, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours. It matters to God. When you give it as a sacrifice, it is a sacrifice of holiness to the Lord. Come on somebody. Your life counts. Material things matter. Now I'm not preaching materialism here. Because there's some folks who have run away with an aberrant, hyper-prosperity gospel. I, I want to tell you that I believe God wants to bless you more than you can even begin to think. But when we start judging our spirituality, the scripture says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And they flipped it and they have said, Gain is godliness. I'll leave that alone. I want to tell you that the covenant of God is big enough to bless you so you don't have to be spending all of your time praying and seeking God to get your rent paid because God wants your focus to be on getting the souls of Crittenden County saved. That's where our whole focus ought to be. It ought not be about, oh, God, please bless me, bless me, bless me, heal me. If, I, if all of our prayers consume consumed with something about me, then we are me-centered. We are me-focused. We are possessed by a me-centered gospel. And God deliver us from that. When, when once we can ever just give it all to him and say, God, it's yours. Everything I have, everything I've got, everything that I am, everything that I'm not, it's yours, Lord. When we can ever get to that place, then it's amazing what God can do with us. God cares about the earth. Jesus taught us to pray. Say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, say it. Come on. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. We have been left here for a reason. God has a purpose for you to be the only Christian in the place where you work. Quit whining and turn your light on. Hear me. Habakkuk 214, the Bible says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the water covers the sea. That is a promise of God. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's a whole lot of coverage, baby. I want you to see this this morning. After the resurrection, Jesus did not walk around in some kind of mystical, spiritual body. He walked around in a very real body. He held his hands out to Thomas, and he says, Here are the wounds. Stick your finger in that hole right there in my hand. Come on. He raised up. The robe he was wearing, he said, Right here, this is where the soldier pierced me in the side. And out of that issued the two cleansing elements of blood and water. Those things that delivered you, blood and water. Slain blood of the lamb, the water of baptism, marking you from the past into a new identity, an initiation into the kingdom of God. He had a very real, tangible, he ate fish, but then he turned around and walked through a wall, appeared and disappeared. He was walking around in a glorified body, but no less a very real, tangible, material Body. That's the reason the resurrection is so critical to Christianity because matter matters. Everybody say matter matters. Say that. Come on. Salvation is individual. Man, we all know this one. We we wear this out in America. This is to our detriment. This is why you have a guy stranded on a desert island by himself and he's a Christian and he starts the first, whatever name you want to call it the first fire-baptized Holy Ghost of Apostolic Church. And it's standing there. On the other side of the island, you see the new or the second. And he gets rescued and somebody says, why are there two churches? He says, well, because I couldn't agree with myself. How many of you know so many times we've got this individualized Christianity? It's just me and Jesus riding the range of glory. Jesus is the Lone Ranger, and man, he happens to let us hang around with him in some kind of tonto, kind of like fashion. But how many of you know when Jesus comes, he brings his friends with him? And they're the ones that'll kill you. (laughs) Look at your neighbor right now and say, hello, friends. (laughs) So he's talking about us. It's not just individual. Thank God that it is a rescue, that he's rescued us from death. He's rescued us from sin. The Bible says to everyone who believes the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, the Bible says you must be born again. Do not even marvel that I tell you that you must be born again. It's not about entering into your mother's womb again, Nicodemus, but it's about having a birth from the spirit. It's about a new identity. It's about the Spirit of Christ coming into the inside of you. The the, the wind that blows and you do not know where it comes or where it goes, but you can still sense it and know that it's been there. So is every man who is born of the Spirit. And finally, He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. Galatians chapter 1 verses 3 and the scripture says that he's delivered us from this present evil age in Galatians one. In Colossians 1.13, he says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness. See, there's just two kingdoms, there's two places to live this morning. It's either in the kingdom of light or in the kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. Where do you want to live? In eternity, smoking or not? Finally this morning, and I'm finished, salvation is communal. It is about being reconciled to each other. I'm thankful that I have a wife who loves me so very much. I'm thankful that I have a, a baby girl, not a baby anymore. I'm thankful that I have a son, that I have a boy and a girl. I have a, I have a son and a daughter who love me in spite of all of my stuff that God hasn't fixed yet. And believe me, they know it better than anybody else. I'm thankful that I have a church family that, that loves me, that prays for me, that's standing with me. That even when I blow it, they go, man, I love you. I'm with you. I got your back. Amen. I'm thankful that there is some sense of this thing called community here. So, so that, that, you know, I, I, was, I was sitting last Christmas in a party in Jonesboro with some friends, and, and they were basically talking about a pastoral situation where a man had fallen into sin, and I just sat there, and I'm sitting at the table, and they're all just talking, and it was it really wasn't a bad gossip session or anything like that, but they were just talking about yeah, can you believe it? I just basically stopped and I said, guys, I I can't sit here and hear this and not respond because I am a pastor, and I want to tell you something. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for other brothers in the city when they have fallen into sin. And when they have been a priest of the Lord and been an instrument to put marriages back together, been an instrument of God to, to hold in confidence things that people have confessed and they have prayed in faith and basically as a priest of the Lord standing as a representative of Christ alone who is the one mediator between God and man but as an earthly representative of Jesus himself basically absolved the sins and remitted the sins and by faith, yes, you're restored to fellowship in the family and by the blood of Jesus and by the presence of the cleansing spirit of God, he is a minister of restoration and then when he slips they're ready to tar and feather him and run him out of town on a rail. And there's no discussion whatsoever of the possibility of ministering to his family and standing alongside with him and bringing restoration, even if it means being out of the pulpit for six months or a year and loving him and surrounding him as a community. No, we just basically call a confidence vote and kick him out and go, Hey, be blessed. Now, the reason I have to talk like this is because we live in an area where there are more Baptists than there are people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they do it. And I want to tell you, it's not right. Amen. <laughs> Community means... We are reconciled and we walk in forgiveness and we love each other. Does it mean that a person in high leadership does something severe and is in the pulpit the next Sunday? I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about being a people of love and mercy and people who recognize the severity of sin, but they recognize the greater grace of God over it that where sin might abound, that grace does much more abound and that love can cover the multitude of sins. Come on, somebody. Am I, am I talking to anybody in the room this morning? Come on. There, there are situations that are sitting in this room today with people and I don't even know about all of them. God, help me. It would drive me crazy if I knew about all of them. I want to tell you, I've had more peace and I've enjoyed pastoring people the last six months more than I ever have in my whole life. And somebody came around recently and said, Have you heard? I said, Is it bad? Don't even tell me. I don't even want to know because I'm just in a season of the blessing of the Lord. Are, are we problem free? <laughs> no. You want to know why? Look at the person next to you and says, Because you're here. <laughs> Everybody point up here and say, It's because he's the pastor. Come on, do it right now. <laughs> It's not a perfect church. If that's what you're looking for today, when you join it, it will cease to be. We're just people. Just people, broken, depraved, apart from God, can do nothing, desperately need Jesus to come into our hearts. We need the Passover blood of the Lamb. We need the spirit baptism of Pentecost. We need to experience the full, the wonderful. Isn't it amazing? Have you ever thought about the first miracle that Jesus did in John chapter 2? He didn't open any blind eyes. He didn't raise anybody from the dead. He didn't open deaf ears. He didn't heal any lames so that they could walk. He showed up at a party, and he turned 150 gallons of water into wine. Jesus' first miracle was basically to show up and make a party better. A little bit of this, and a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and a little bit of that. Some of you got that. (laughs) What does that say? God wants to take the ordinary water of your life, of your existence, and he wants to effervesce it with the spirit and the power of his anointing. And he wants to set some excitement in the middle of your life. Come on. Oh, I'm almost going to get Pentecostal a little bit right here. The very first miracle of Jesus is not to grab one individual but to show up at a party a whole community of folks guarantee you there were some folks that were ticked off there were probably some women in the place that were mad because she went down to the bazaar and bought the same outfit she did for less money <laughs> can you believe she stole my recipe and brought it to this wedding feast I can't believe that I guarantee you and my God we all know how tremendously tense filled it is when you have a wedding and you've got the in-laws and the outlaws that are poised against each other Jesus basically says, salvation is an experience. Do you have it? It's material. He will renew it. He wants to renew the whole face of the earth. He wants to break completely the curse of sin and sickness and death. Salvation is individual. God wants to rescue you. When I say you this morning, it is singular. He will rescue you. And he will take one from a family and two from a city and he'll send them to Zion. He'll put you in a workplace where it's dark and he fills you with his light. He'll send you to a party where the wine runs out. He'll take your water and he'll turn it into wine. He'll give you the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Salvation is communal. I've got to experience this with you. It's not enough to know Jesus by myself because Don Bell knows something about Jesus that I don't. And Jesus has done something powerful in his life. And oh my goodness, Julio. Man, I love you, my brother. Oh, I love this man. I need that. mm, I need a little bit. Roll me some tamales, my brother, in the name of Jesus. I need a little bit of that Latin Jesus. Jesus. I need to go south of the border and experience a Fel- Feliz Navidad. Hallelujah. <laughs> Bendito el Señor. Blessed be He, him who is the Lord. Amen. And I want to tell you, Jerome got a picture and revelation of Jesus that when I get with him, I see an amazing man who has got a mind that fascinates me, but yet he loves Jesus so much that he'll sit in the Shake Shack with his coffee and he'll start talking about Jesus and his eyes will fill up with little tears. Lana, you know Jesus, I need the blend. I wrote a blog post yesterday for my blog and it said, there is a river. spent my whole life in walking distance of the mighty Mississippi. Psalm 46, verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the dwelling place, the habitation of the Most High. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I'm thankful this morning that I'm part of a body, and, and, and in that river there's a little bit of different flow and a taste that comes out of every one of you in the room this morning. Chris Grafton back there shaking your head. Love Scott and Chris. Everybody in the room, there is a river and every one of you is a stream. There's a river, singular. There are streams, plural. Let me bump this into a little larger thing and I'm finished this morning. There's a Baptist stream and there's a Methodist stream and there's a Presbyterian and an Anglican stream and there's a Methodist stream and a Pentecostal stream and a Lutheran stream and a Nazarene stream and we can go on and talk about all the streams and I'm thankful for the streams, plural, but there is a river. There is a one singular river of God. And the problem that you and I have is that when we start thinking our stream is the river and we say, bless God, this is the river. This is the only true miracle water. you got to have the water like we have it. We're the only stream that can get you baptized right and get you to heaven. There is a river whose streams. You know what? There's a body and there are many members. There's one body. I'm going to tell you, Perry, man, what a servant of the Lord. I just love seeing the smile on this guy. Even when the hogs get beat, this guy smiles. <laughs> Jesus said, I am divine, you are the branches. One vine, many branches. One body, many members. One river, many strength. We are in this as a community. I need to experience the blend. I need to taste Jesus out of your life. You need what I have. I need what you have. We need each other. Amen. Salvation. Come on, give Him praise. Salvation is a rich experience, including tangible material blessings. Shared by individuals living in community. Look at your neighbor and say, i got to have me some of that. You know what? This morning I just want to ask you, have you ever tasted? I'm finished. The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you've never had any lamb before, It's it's an unusual taste experience. God is very much interested in a full sensory experience. We are heading into our big feast day as Americans where we thank God for people who left the shores of a country where they were being persecuted. And they traveled in ships and they came over and landed. And they sat down with some Indians and they roasted some corn and they killed a turkey and they ate and they said to the god of heaven we give thanks for the bounty of the field and the bounty of the earth i don't know about you but i'm going to pig slap out Are you talking about a free day on the diet baby it's a feast I'm not just going to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm going to have a whole lot of all of it. I'll come to the table in my track pants that expand. You think I'm trying to be funny and I'm telling you the honest to God truth. It's a feast. This is how God intended for us to enjoy Jesus. Taste and see Experience. This morning, as every bit as real as that turkey, that sweet potato casserole, all that stuff is going to be on Thursday. Jesus is poised on a table spread for you today. If you've never tasted of him, he's saying, Come on, there's a buffet here. Experience who I am. It's free. Somebody's already picked up the tab. It's already paid for. The feast of the Lord is, is that you would meet Him and you would meet Jesus and that He would personally rescue you and renew you and regenerate what's dead. He'll make it alive this morning. And you know what? All you have to do is just say, Jesus, I, I, I don't know anything about any of this, but I just know I got to have you. I need you, Jesus. That's all you got to say right there. I need you, Jesus. Save me. Take my past. Wash it away by the blood of the Lamb.